This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. You guys, how important is sleep temperature? It's everything to me. And this is where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Its mission is to elevate the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. It's designed for one or two sleepers. So if your partner likes to sleep at a different temperature or you only need it for one side of the bed, it still works. I just put this on top of my existing mattress and voila. So whether you're dealing with night sweats or simply seeking a better night's rest, Chili Pad is here to transform your existing mattress into a sanctuary of cool, relief, and comfort. Visit www.sleep.me slash FTL to get your Chili Pad and save up to $315 with code FTL. This offer is exclusively available for the love listeners, only for a limited time. So order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with your sleep trial. So visit www.sleep, that's S-L-E-E-P, dot M-E slash F-T-L, because every woman deserves to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day ahead. Content warning. This episode talks about sensitive topics, including eating disorders and sex. So listener discretion is advised because content may not be suitable for young audiences. Our bodies are not just a thing that gets in the way of us being loved. Our bodies are keeping us alive. They are the place where pleasure happens, where joy, connection of fulfillment where desire happens. I mean, the body is always working for our good. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. So right now we are in a series called For the Love of You. And I want to qualify that like I constantly do in this series, which is by saying, I don't mean that in a silly way. Like we just really thought as a team about developing a series where we really explored the different ways that you as a person matter in the world and where are our hangups and where are our 
roadblocks and what do we need to be mentally healthy and physically healthy and spiritually healthy and emotionally healthy. And so we have compiled this team of like incredible experts, the best in the biz to walk us through these facets of ourselves that collectively tend to become so broken and kind of so corrupted. And we're just wondering if we can begin to build a roadmap home. And so that's what this series is about. Now, having said that, if you're in my world, you know that for the past few years, I have taken a pretty serious deep dive into what it actually means to exist within my own body and honor her desires and her needs. Like, and yes, her, Hillary taught me to say that, who I'm about to introduce, because she needs love. She needs care and kindness and nourishment and all the things that I routinely withheld for many, many, many years. And for what? Like, how did treating my body irresponsibly help me? What did it gain me? Nothing. How did treating my body like my own personal enemy, right? Like my body is the single greatest detriment to to a beautiful life. Did that deliver at all? It didn't. And so I can tell you this, having logged a good five years here, there is something so unbelievably magical about loving and existing in our bodies while treating them with incredible care and respect. Now I will say up front, this has not been an easy journey for me. For me, this meant unlearning a ton of toxic narratives that I've been ingesting since I was a kid, right? Same for you. We, we all got kind of the same story. So for me, this was a road filled with blocks and bumps and bruises and forward progress and then backward progress. And I needed help to clear the way. And so I don't know how many times I have said this publicly. I can't even count how many times I have referenced her. I have highlighted her work. I have taken her exact words and put them inside my own books, my own podcasts, my own sort of community language with you because Dr. Hillary McBride, who we have on the show today was probably my, my most shining star. And for me, what was a new conversation, definitely a new way to learn and live. She has inspired me in every way, literally changed the way I think. And so I can't wait to share this conversation with you. It's, it's literally, this is one of those episodes and I always know it right when I finish, I actually know it right in the middle of it, but I knew right, right when this episode just wrapped a second ago that every single word like has value today. There's not a wasted word, not one, not a wasted sentence. If you're new to Hillary, you'll see she's like (laughs) wonderfully like gentle. So where I can be kind of like a bull in a China shop, Hillary is like, I just, I just kind of want to like lean my head on Hillary's shoulder and just (laughs) take a nap. She's so good at what she does and her like way of being in the world is so lovely. So let me tell you a little bit more about her just in case you're new, because she has been on the show today. She's a returning guest, Dr. McBride, by the way, she's got, she got her doctorate in the intervening time from the first episode that I had her on to this one. And as you know, I've said this a million times on the show when we've had on so many like PhD people on the show. And the truth is that if I ever had the word doctor in front of my name that I earned 
I would be insufferable. There'd be a zero chance I wouldn't require it as my moniker. Like it's Dr. Outmaker. <laughs> I'm like super obsessed. I'm over the top obsessed with education. Anyway, she's a doctor now you guys. And she's a registered psychologist. She's based in British Columbia up in Canada. And her work has been recognized by the American Psychological Association and the Canadian Psychological Association. She completed her PhD in counseling psychology from the University of British Columbia. And she recently won the Young Investigators Award for her research contributions so early in her academic career. Her work in Private practice and teaching and research includes absolute expertise and what I would even consider like pioneering research at the intersections of spirituality and mental health, trauma, body image, eating disorders, embodiment, and feminist psychology. Like you can see why I love her. That's all my stuff. That's everything. That's everything I love. So her first book, Mothers, Daughters, and Body Image. Learning to Love Ourselves as We Are was published in 2017. And there is no way that I quoted a single ounce less than 5,000 words of that in Fierce in my last book. Those of you who read Fierce, I have this whole chapter on bodies and its center point is Hillary's work. So I told her, I told her at the end of the show today, I'm like, I'll never ever stop referencing you. And the way, the degree to which I do that is just like a hair under plagiarism, but I always credit her. So everybody calm down. Okay. So Hillary's a senior editor of the textbook called Embodiment and Eating Disorders theory, research, prevention, and treatment, which was published in 2018. And so her next book is called The Wisdom of Your Body, Finding Healing, Wholeness, and Connection Through Embodied Living. It comes out in October. And I'm actually going to have her on an IG Live. So y'all be watching for that. We will absolutely unpack what she is offering us in that book. And I told her, and I've said this many times, the greatest compliment that I can give Hillary's work is that the very second I finish reading it, I want to put it in the hands of my daughters. Hillary is the host of Other People's Problems, which is a podcast about therapy and mental health. And per her reporting, self-reporting, the great loves of her life are her husband, her brand new baby daughter, the ocean, and chai tea. So it's not a bad list. And she's the love of my life. So there's that. So I am so happy if you're new to her that you're going to get introduced to Hillary's work today. And this conversation is, we talk about sex, we talk about hunger, we talk about what do we do when we are disconnected from our bodies and we've believed that lie and how do we get started? It's all in here. Okay. So you're not going to want to miss one second of it. Hit play. And then you're going to want to share this with every woman that you love, your sisters, your best friends, definitely your daughters. I'm so glad to bring you my conversation with the incredible, the stunning Dr. Hillary McBride. All right. I mean, we were just talking before we hit record, but I am so so happy to have you back on the show, Hillary. And what's so fun is like, I just told you the first time we ever talked, you didn't have a doctor in front of your name and you didn't have a baby girl. Right, so your life's just moving down the tracks. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. A lot has happened in the last couple of years. It's true. A lot has happened in the first couple of years. And like, I also just told you in your genre, 
kind of in your discipline and where you spend the majority of your time in your research and influence, nobody has affected me more than you. Nobody. You are the lead person who put new language into my hands language I'd never heard much less internalized. You have changed my personal practices on how I both think about my body, speak to her, call her names in a good way. Right. (laughs) Right. The best kind of names. I just, a lot of other incredible leaders have piled on to the foundation that you have built into my life. And thus, you know how this works. I end up building into my community because yeah. I don't invent everything good. I just find you. Oh. I'm like, guys, here's Hillary. Here's a, listen to what she says. She knows. <laughs> oh, that's so moving to me to know that, that that's impacted you in that way. I mean, thank you for sharing that with me. You're welcome. I mean, every word of it. So Mm -hmm. a lot of my community, it's been a minute since you and I have been on the Mm -hmm. show together, but a lot of my community will remember you from our first interview. And then of course you also with me did a wonderful bonus episode at the beginning of the pandemic, which was also a million years ago. Have it's been a million years. Time feels so strange. Uh, I just, I don't even know. I don't even know the year. So for For the new listeners I have onboarded since then who are new to you, could you just tell us a little bit about kind of who you are? Obviously, you can touch down on what's new with you since our last conversation. Spare no details, but just kind of let everybody know about you, Hillary. Sure, sure. I... Depending on the season of life that I'm in, I like to answer that question differently. So sometimes I orient myself more towards my working role and I'll say, you know, I'm a psychologist. And so I work with people and I have the privilege and immense honor of being with people in moments of pain or transformation or healing. And right now it feels like the best way to introduce myself is as a new mom. It feels like my entire identity has shifted and I am trying to retain threads of what I knew myself to be before. And that is such a joy, particularly in conversations like this. Oh yeah, there is this whole other part of my life and existence, but I am like really in the thick of it with, you know, sleep schedule and feeding and diapers and trying to figure yeah, out how are. to be a mom and how to get poop stains out of baby clothes. This is my That's new, a new area skill of expertise. set for you, isn't it's it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know so much about that. I know yeah. you do. So yeah, a mom as well feels like a really, a really important thing that's happening in me, shifting in me. And I imagine it will translate so well back to how I am a therapist, how I am with people, because there's something that feels like it's rooted deeper in me about about tenderness and love and patience and all of the things that grow in us when we learn to be with such a vulnerable little being and the the magic and mystery of that. And then of course I, you know, I teach at a university and I research and I'm a, I'm a curious person. I love drinking tea. Those are all parts of my, my, it all counts. counts. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are some big things. And then I think the other, the other significant thing is that I have a book coming out, a book I've been working on for a very, very, very long time called the wisdom of your body. And so I feel like I'm, I'm in the, the emergence of so many new things in my life. Mm. I'm in the thick of it. Babies, books. Mm. Yeah. I have that book. Um, I do my best to worm my way into a relationship with people that I want to be in relationship with you being one of them, which means I get advanced copies of things I want to read. (laughs) Well done. Uh, we're going to talk about that because it's, it's profound. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really profound and it's really important. And I look forward just on a side note, something you just said, I really look forward to seeing how being a mom affects your work. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and especially a mom of a daughter, mm-hmm. that particular intersection has always meant something to you. Obviously yes. this is, you've explored that already. Uh-huh. And so I just think this is going to provide an experience for you that can't be manufactured any other way, right. except to learn, to live it. And we're all going to benefit from it, oh, from your girl. little nugget that you brought into this right. world. Right. <laughs> little She's love changing me. She's changing me. Mm-hmm. It really like what I'm thinking about when you're saying this is it's like having studied the moon and now I get to go. Like That's there's it. something about the yeah. intellectual knowledge dropping into my fingertips when I hold her in the night or, <laughs> the way that I see my own body as having made her. I mean, there's just ripples and ripples and ripples oh, totally. in my own life. And like you, when something shifts in me, I want to give it away. I want to right. understand it and distribute it in my community. It's like the the intellectual or therapy version of like a micro loan for women in different yes. communities. Like give the women That's the micro loan. metaphor. Everybody in the community benefits. You do that so well. I want to start talking with you about the concept of embodiment. I learned mm-hmm. this from you first. I learned what it meant. I learned why it matters. Mm-hmm. You handed me some language around this that took me a while to assimilate because we're not raised like this. Mm-hmm. This matters and it's kind of foundational both to your work and even as, as your community, our front door to, to your work. And so you have called the, the mind body connection, a divide. And I couldn't agree more. So can you talk a little bit about for what even is a mind body connection? What do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. And then how it's not even a question of has it's how has patriarchal culture harmed, like really even traumatized our understanding of our bodies. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what's, what's kind of interesting about this idea of mind body connection is we have these two words that imply that they're distinct sources, distinct processes from each other. The mind and the body are separate. And the kind of the frontiers of neuroanatomy and the way we understand our bodies is now showing us that these are so intimately connected, they work together. There are there are no splits between what's happening in our body and what's happening in our mind. And everything that's happening in our body is shaping the way that we think the way that we think is shaping what's happening in the textures of our of our muscles and our fibers and our nerve endings and our digestion. I mean, we understand now that our our gut is like a second brain. We know what happens in our kind of emotions impacts what's happening in our digestion. Our posture changes our mood. There is no such thing as the mind body divide except for how That's right. we constructed it in our language. <laughs> So when we start to understand that everything is connected, that moves us back into more creativity, more wholeness, more agency, and a better kind of a better way of navigating what it means to be human and understanding particularly where we get stuck, where we get stuck in terms of illness, where we get stuck in terms of this, the other kinds of separations we see in our world around us, between us and them, between past and present. I mean, really the body is the center of where life happens, where identity happens. And when we change how we understand that, the ripple of that moves into every sphere of our existence. As a practical example mm-hmm. of that, one maybe one of the most powerful things that I have learned from you was your suggestion that in order to to bridge that divide, because mm-hmm. really it's for most grown women in our generation, it's new territory. Right. 
because we have thought of ourselves as so separately. And so it was your suggestion to begin to call our bodies a she Mm -hmm. or a her and humanizing this idea that my body is me. Like that is me. It's, it's not just my unfortunate container carrying around my brain, you know, it is me and worthy of like being cherished and spoken gently to and kind. And so when I first learned that from you and had to tried to start putting that into practice, Uh calling my body a she or a her and speaking to her lovingly and with gratitude. I mean, I remember like it was yesterday, the story that you told at the time, I don't even know if you remember this, but I can't remember what the parameters of it were, but you were at the doctor, you were, you were in the doctor, Mm -hmm. the doctor's office and something was scary. I don't remember, but it was just before all of it was sort of going to flesh out and that the nurse overheard you right? like putting your hands like over your own heart and speaking like beautifully to your body about Mm -hmm. how far she had brought you and how proud you were of her. And that like, that was, is a mind blowing idea for me to be that generous to our own selves. And so, but what I've noticed practicing that is that that does ultimately change us. Yes. It's changed me. It has, it found its way from just like a verbal practice that I was just trying on for size Mm -hmm. (laughs) into something that I believe now. I mean, I am, I'm forever wrapping my arms around myself and being like, oh, you sweet thing. Yes. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Holding yourself the way that you hold anybody else that you love. I mean, to come back to your question about patriarchy, one of the things that patriarchy has done is it's convinced us we are not our bodies, that our bodies are a thing, right? That's right. And a thing that we have to be at war with, a thing we need to control, subdue, because, and here's this tension, and when I say it, everyone's going to see it, in patriarchy, in kind of this white supremacist paradigm that we live in in the West, there are two options for us. Your body is bad. And your body is the only thing that matters about you. And it's your currency for belonging. So hate it, but also treat it like an object that needs to be preserved and valued Mm -hmm. based on our our societal standards. So diet, restrict your body, disconnect from what your body needs because your needs will put you at odds with what your culture wants for you. So we learned to we learned to disconnect from our bodies and see our bodies as just appearance and an appearance of currency to value. And we miss everything else that our body is for us, including the place where our existence happens, this, this, the place of our beingness that is always for us. Our bodies are not just a thing that gets in the way of us being loved. Our bodies are keeping us alive. They are the place where pleasure happens, where joy, connection, where experience of fulfillment, where desire happens. I mean, the body is always working for our good. Oh, yeah, that's right. And what a wonderful mindset. I always say now that my body is team me and only team me. It's (laughs) only agenda Uh is to protect me, to keep me safe, to warn me only with my highest good at all times. That's it. That's the only North star. So pressing into this a little Mm -hmm. bit, you gave a talk where you mentioned the vagus nerve. Am I saying that right? You vagus. Are. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you said 
in our culture, and this is kind of what we're talking about, but I Mm -hmm. want you to take it one layer deeper in our culture that is bent on us using bodies to carry our brain around. Sometimes we can miss the hidden wisdom written in in our DNA. And it's that, that I want to hear you talk about. What is the wisdom that we can train ourselves to tune into and also trust? Mm Because that's a big, I think that's a real breach for a lot of women, particularly. Absolutely. Well, I think you just started talking about it there, that our body is trying to keep us safe. So a really good example of this is when we think about trauma. So trauma, right, is something that overwhelms our nervous system and we feel we feel confused, we feel overwhelmed, we feel powerless. The way that memory storage happens typically changes in trauma. And all of a sudden, we can have these reactions that don't really make sense for their current context. Right? For an, you know, a good example of that for me is I have lots of trauma in cars. I've had lots of uh, really close calls in cars, near-death experiences in cars. And so sometimes I'm sitting in my parking lot in my car and my heart is pounding out of my chest but I'm mm. sitting still. I'm not, I'm not even driving. Right. Safe. Right. I'm safe. Uh-huh. Exactly. So my uh-huh. body is telling me this doesn't feel good yeah. because it's remembering, Hey, this is the place where right. all of this pain has happened. So I can look at my body and say, why is it doing this? This doesn't make sense. It's, you know, I'm getting all sweaty and what, you know, you're not doing the thing I want you to do. You're making it hard to drive body. Or yeah. I can look at my body and say, Oh, you're remembering you're remembering Mm. all of the times and it has been Mm. so scary to be in this particular seat. No Mm. wonder you're getting my heart racing. You're trying to Mm -hmm. tell me, pay attention. So we have a body that is wired to keep us safe, to keep us alive. And we misconstrue some of the messages that our bodies give us or send to other people as being inconvenient, problematic, when really what they're doing is they're telling the story of what we've been through. And they're actually pointing us in the direction of what we need to do to heal. They're saying, Mm. there is still some stuff here that you think is happening that actually was over a long time ago. And Mm. it's time for you to heal this part. And I'm telling you, Mm. it's time to do some healing by giving you all of this information. And then Mm. there's another piece of it, which our body through emotion, through how our bodies respond to different sensory cues around us and people around us, it's telling us not just how to stay safe, but how to be whole, how to connect Mm. to other people, how to love other people well. But if we are disconnected from our bodies, if we have been told your feelings are a liability, they lead you astray. If we've been told that your body is a problem that is going to harm somebody else because you are, you're beautiful, you're desirable. I mean, so many of us who grew up in different faith contexts were told your body is going to lead other people into sin. And so we learn to disconnect from our bodies. And as a result, when our body gives us such good information about who we are and how to feel pain with other people, we don't We don't know what to do with that. So we shove it Mm -hmm. down. And Mm -hmm. this is, feelings are a really important thing to talk about here because most of us think about feelings as an intellectual process, the name we give for the story we're telling, but actually emotion is a physiological process that is wired to move us into action. And in particular, to move us into action, to care for people around us and to care for Mm -hmm. ourselves. So if we've been told we cannot trust our feelings, then when we see the suffering of other people, we are also Mm -hmm. disconnected from empathy. We are also disconnected from the impulses in us that tell us, do something to care for your Mm -hmm. neighbor. So feelings in our body are part of how we heal our social fabric. Mm -hmm. And right, we need to be able to nuance them and respond to them so that we're not 
necessarily just jumping into our impulses all the time, but we cannot care for others and do justice work in a sustainable way if we don't have access to our own feeling. Mm. That's really powerful. This isn't neutral work. It's not without consequence. This this isn't just something that those of us who are a little bit more self-actualized get to live inside that freedom and the right. rest of us will just power through. Right. Like this affects uh-huh. our relationships. This affects yeah. our, our physical health, literally, yeah. especially at its, if we decide to ignore it at our own peril, you know, Hillary, this last year has been hard for me and I've experienced a lot of trauma mm-hmm. and a lot of loss with the, with the collapse of my marriage, right. you know, after 26 years, that is must that's muscle memory in every fiber of my body. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I know. That was my yes. entire adult experience. Yes. And so I'm my own worst enemy here because I have such strong Enneagram three tendencies that I can access the capacity to simply power through. Mm-hmm. I can do it. I just can do it. Mm-hmm. Like I will be this anchor for my kids right now. And I'm just going to set the stuff aside and I'll get to it. But right now somebody needs to be the adult in the room. And so this last year, I mean, after really 10 months of that, of handling it, I mean, handling everything. Right. And I started having panic attacks and out, it felt like out of nowhere, it just felt like what, what I'm, I'm just sitting here. Like I'm just, I'm not in danger in any way, shape or form. And my body was just finally like, that's enough. Yeah. It's enough. You did what you had to do. Like we've done it. We held it together. We saw the family through. We got us to the other side of this trauma and it is enough, like red flags, alarms, Mm -hmm. alarm bells, and pay attention. This is, so I think maybe even five years ago, I would have responded. Like you mentioned again, I would have mentioned a minute ago, I would have said, my body's betraying me. Yes, It's finally throwing in the towel right when I need it right? Like my body is going to just collapse. But now, because I've learned so much and you've taught me so much and your colleagues have taught me so much, I knew enough to be so like thankful and tender Mm. that my body was like, we will stop. We will stop. We will deal. You need to heal. We need to, that something needs to be seen Mm -hmm. and named Mm -hmm. and addressed. And what a gift. Yes. No one else is going to do that for me. Not one person in the right. whole world, except right. for my body. Right. That's it. Cause everybody else will just keep taking whatever we're going to give. Right. Absolutely. And I'm just, I'm so struck by your ability to integrate all the things that you've been learning about and thinking about that panic is one of the most awful things that we can feel. Cause you're most people who experience it often feel like they're dying. It feels like a heart attack. Yeah. It is not a fun thing to stay with and be thankful for. So wait for that. Like that's that's really hard work. Well done. But it it makes me think of something I talk about in the book, which is not a, a new concept that I'm coming up with, but something I've learned from other colleagues in this area, the idea of the second arrow. And the second arrow is the the thing that we do to ourself after something Mm -hmm. painful already happens in life. So life shoots the first arrow. There are awful things that happen to us. And I don't think that that 
that happens because we've done anything wrong or we need to be punished. It's just life. Lesson. Life is just painful sometimes. That's but right. But how do we respond to that? What are the messages yes. that we tell ourselves about that? So, okay, so you you have all of this stuff happening in the background of your mm-hmm. life, and then the panic that's saying, "Pay attention, feel the mm-hmm. feelings, be with yourself, tune tune in to what this is really like for you." And we have yes. choices about what we do with that information. We shame ourselves and we say, "Ah, oh, body." Ugh right? We scapegoat our body as the proof that our body, you know, these messages are the proof that our body's actually a problem. Or Mm. we say, thank you. Thank you for telling me this. Of course you're giving me that information. I went through Mm. so much after that many years in a marriage. No wonder I have this much grief and this much feeling and this much sadness and this much loss. Of course you're telling me about that. Thank you. I need to feel this. So we have choices about how we respond to that information. But like you're saying, culturally, we're not given that story. Mm. To, we're not supported to have a dialogue with ourselves that is compassionate. And our bodies are constantly seen as the problem or That's the right. root for so much of our distress. Like our bodies, mm. we have been told by other people and then we do it to ourselves. That's right. We say that our physiological responses or what's happening to us is proof that our bodies are bad and can't be trusted when really our bodies are just saying, please let me care for you. Please trust me. So important. We can learn to listen. So good. And I appreciate that. The mention of trust. I know for me, and I know that you see this too, you have access to this paradigm as well, which was that very specifically for women coming up through a faith paradigm, like through a, in a faith space, Mm -hmm. not subtly, but on the nose overtly, I was taught in no ambiguous terms that my body was not to be trusted. Right. Exactly. And and backed up with scripture that if I had a thought, it was a bad one. Mm -hmm. If I had a desire, it should be squashed hunger in general was attached to whatever you want, right? Certainly sexual hunger, but really any hunger, just an appetite Mm -hmm. was frowned upon. And, and if anything, I think what was insidious for me that took me the longest to overcome is this sense that it was suspicious, Mm -hmm. right? It just could, that could not be trusted. If your body is telling it to you, then your spiritual practice here, your sense of obedience is going to be to deny it. Mm-hmm. And so that has had a, t- a catastrophic effect yes. on the, the other messages that our bodies send us that are important and our appetites are important too. Mm-hmm. But if we decide that we are going to squash the pleasure stuff, mm-hmm. we also end up not being able to trust the alarm bells. And so exactly. this mat, this is a deal. Uh-huh. This is a deal. If, if somebody is listening right now and maybe they came up in a face space, or maybe they just got that story. Cause a lot of us did right? Mm-hmm. This is just an unfortunate deal. Right. And they, w- they would like to begin the work of even just having permission to trust their own bodies mm-hmm. and what their bodies are constantly trying to say to them. Yeah. How would you instruct us there? How would you, how, how would you instruct this in sort of the beginning space? Oh, I love this question. There's something you said that I want to come back to, which is about the relationship, how we relate to our bodies. We can borrow a paradigm of relationship that we use in other spheres of our life. And most of us, if we've had any long-term friendships or marriage or kind of 
collegial relationships, we know that if there is a trust that has been broken, that a repair needs to be made. So when we think about relating to our body, not as a thing, but as a being, our body is the place where we exist. It is There is aliveness, there is a personhood to our body that when we think of our body in that way, we can use relationship analogies and skills to mend that disconnect that we felt with ourselves. So the, the analogy that I love to use is if you had a relationship with a friend or maybe not a friend, a person in your life, in your community who you've been told was dangerous, was bad, uh, could not be trusted and was out to get you and actually would take away your worth and your value because of just how they are. If you were given the message one day that everything you learned about them was wrong, would mm-hmm. that would that immediately create intimacy and trust with that person? Mm. No, right? There would need Mm. to be so much repair of, I'm so sorry I believed that about you. What was really going on for you? And tell me, and can we make new memories and associations with each other? So I love to start this, this integration process with our bodies with an, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Wow, I believed everything that was ever told to me about you, including the things that were not true. No wonder you're screaming, trying to get my attention because I don't listen to the whispers. I don't listen to the subtleties of your communication. And so you have to throttle me with panic attacks or you have to throttle me with chronic pain or illness or whatever it is to get my attention. I am so sorry. And what was really true all along? And can we make new memories? Can we make a new relationship? And so I like to think about starting with that because that's how I heal every other relationship in my life when there's a fracture. That's right. Right. We know how to do that. Yeah. But can we do that here? And then I think about the slow getting to know you process. So paying attention to little things, keeping data about, oh, that's what it's like when I'm hungry. Oh, that's how I know I'm tired. And we build the trust. We reconcile by noticing those messages and responding to them. So when I'm tired, actually going to bed or telling my body, oh yes, thank you for telling me I'm tired. I have some responsibilities that I have to deal with. Like I'm a new mom. Okay. I'm going to be tired pretty much 24 mm, seven. So thank you for telling me I need more sleep. That That's good information for me. And I'm going to take care of my baby right now. And as soon as that need is taken care of, I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to rest. Mm. Or thank you for giving me a hunger cue. I'm going to feed myself. Yeah. And when we start to pay attention to that information, yeah. we build trust with ourselves. So our body it doesn't have to scream so loud. We can hear like, mm, I don't feel good walking down that street or it doesn't feel safe being with that person. I think they remind you of someone who's hurt you before or something mm-hmm. like that. And we have more uh, nuance in the communication with our bodies. Now, mm-hmm. what I'll say when I say all of this is that sometimes what happens is people are like, I don't know how to tell the difference between when I'm hungry because I'm actually hungry. And just when I'm eating because I feel sad, right? So like my body, I, I get kind of confused and what I, or, you know, I'm, I'm tired, but I don't know if I'm tired because I didn't get enough sleep last night or because I'm in a job that's unsatisfying or the, the nuance sure. of all of those cues takes a little bit of time to figure out. Yep. And just like we would with other relationship, we get to know someone when we see in the inflection of their voice and the way they use their body, like what's what they're saying that's funny and what they're saying that's actually you know truth veiled with humor or 
Mm. The kind of the different, the different ways that we can com- communicate with complexity. So mm. I like to remind people that our relationships with our bodies are not, um, are not defined by a singular moment in time that we have an arc we take with our bodies from birth to death. It is the only partnership we have that lasts from the moment we are born to the moment we die. And there is time, there is time to learn and you do not have to get it right, right away. So if you are learning to feed yourself because you're finally Mm -hmm. listening to hunger and sometimes you eat, even though you're not hungry physically, Mm -hmm. you're kind of hungry emotionally. Okay. That's okay. Cool. Right. Good. You're learning. Great. And you'll figure it out over time. And when we know that our, the way that our body looks or behaves isn't defined by how people, other people have given us kind of rubrics or metrics to evaluate or judge ourselves, but, but based on our quality of trust and connection Mm -hmm. and commitment to ourselves, oof, we can relax into the journey of figuring out how over time we do not have to get it right in a single instant. I want to ask you a question that I haven't prepped you for. Great. And and I don't know what the answer will really be. And the question's kind of broad and nebulous. So with that intro. Okay, great. Yeah. (laughs) Yay. Let's Let's lean in. Let's do it. Most of my listeners are women. And what I have both experienced and also what I I've I pick up in the community atmosphere is that we've got a real problem figuring out also how to both trust and assimilate and even consider what our body is telling us sexually, Mm -hmm. what our body tells us we want, what we need, what is good, what's supposed to be a great, fun adventure, Mm -hmm. because just like a million other concepts, sex has been so corrupted and it has just been squeezed into just oblivion and trauma. And it's the source of so much pain for so many women and for good reason. And so I I think I would just like to hear you talk a little bit about reconciling sexual hunger Mm -hmm. and desire and possibility and permission when that has been a not just a story, but for a lot of us, an experience mm-hmm. that is steeped in suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Or even suffering at its outer edge, or even just like, that's bad. Right. 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 Yeah. Like that's bad. Right. There's a range of fragmentation that we have. I'm going to speak kind of in generalizations as women in Western culture, ranging from very normative sexual trauma. And I don't mean normative as in it's okay. I mean, it is so frequently occurring. Common. Yes, yeah. it has hit so many people. It's hit most people that we know. That's right. All the way to, like you're saying, this kind of subtle shame that we yes. carry, or maybe a, a nuance of that, a, a, maybe a, another flavor is the way that we've been sexually objectified and learned to over-identify with the kind of pleasure we offer other people mm. as if our sexuality is defined by another person's experience. And we mm. learn to leave our bodies either because our bodies are not safe and this is shame or we, we leave our bodies because we're so preoccupied with how other people see and experience our bodies that we perform sexuality Hmm. based on what another person wants from us. So there's Hmm. so many things in that spectrum that I want to try and hit. And I think it's important to address the kind of learned helplessness that so many of us have around our sexuality that we have been told so many times 
that our bodies are bad, that our sexuality will lead us and other people astray, that we learn to kind of shut a part of ourselves off. And when we shut a part of ourselves off, it's really hard to enjoy our our sexuality. It's really hard because enjoying it means that it is awake and alive inside of Mm -hmm. us. So Mm -hmm. I like to think about, again, this, the narrative that I mentioned earlier about apologies going into the place in ourselves, into our stories where we learned those shutdown messages and saying that we're sorry to ourselves, maybe responsibility taking if we played a role in that, but really just saying, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Acknowledging Mm -hmm. the places where the schism between Mm -hmm. ourselves and our bodies happened as it related to sexuality. And then I think taking, again, taking responsibility for our healing. Like you said earlier, nobody is going to do this for me. Mm-hmm. This is my journey to take with myself. And there, is an, and there is an immense joy and privilege in that. But I think understanding what, like Esther Perel asked the question, when do I turn myself on? Instead of mm-hmm. when does someone turn me on? When do I turn myself on? Like when, mm-hmm. when do I feel a kind of awakeness and aliveness in my body that isn't even just about sexuality or sexual pleasure, Mm. what kind of food makes me go, oof, mm, right? I kind of feel like this movement and pleasure and sensuality come back on in my body. Mm -hmm. What about, what kind of music makes me feel like I enjoy moving? Like I feel this pleasure in movement. And then I think also experimenting with masturbation or self-pleasure, the ability to touch your own body and go, oh, that feels good. Sometimes that offers us so much more control and agency than having somebody else touch our body when that has been a place that has been so unsafe or dangerous for us. That's right. So noticing what am I going to take responsibility for? I can't expect somebody else to perfectly give me this sexual awakening when I have Mm. a hard time even, you know, touching my own breasts or touching my own vulva or knowing what kind of sensation really Mm. I, I feel excited by. Mm. So there's, there's the repair piece that I'm sorry, but then there's also the, can we play? Can we play? Mm. And can we take responsibility? And can we enjoy that this body is designed to create an enjoyable experience of being alive for us? Yeah. There is something in that that we get to discover again mm-hmm. through the process of being us. It's not something we have to expect turns on in an instant, That's but right. over time through creating experiences of safety and really getting to know our body. Sometimes it's just education. Like we've never been told. Sure. What's what here? Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like it is never too late to learn. It is never That's too good. late to learn. But understanding that shame, shame causes us to shut down. And arousal is meant to be a waking up process. And those are fundamentally incompatible. So sometimes we have to do some shame work so that we Mm. can actually wake up in our bodies. That's so perfect. Thank you for, thank you for answering that, Mm -hmm. for walking us through that again, another place where we just sort of tiptoe sometimes, don't know what to do, don't know where to go. Okay. We're going to wrap this up, Hillary. And these are questions, you know, this series is called for the love of you and not in a trite way, really meaning you are so valuable. You matter. You mean something to this world. You Mm. count. Let's go. Let's do body. Let's Mm. do mine. Like, let's see if we can find a little freedom. Mm-hmm. in this. And so I'm asking everybody this in the you series, these little, and it's just like, whatever you got, okay. just top. I'm your ready. Head. 
here's the first one. What is, do you have one, and you probably have more than one because you're really good at this, but do you have a favorite practice or even just right now that you use to just absolutely like honor and nurture your own self? Like this is a thing that you give to you that you love and you're committed to it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Two things, authentic movement, which I think I might've said in the past too. I'm just, I want to get down, but (laughs) on my own, no one around, preferably naked music, super loud, like just Um, in the living room, like feeling like, what is my body wanting to say that it didn't get to say when it was sitting in a chair all day long. And the second thing right now is I'm really into cake. And I had an oh. eating disorder for, yeah. gosh, how long? You yeah. talk about that yeah. a lot, by Over the way. Over a decade, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. so there was, I think I convinced myself that cake wasn't good because it was like in the category of foods that was sure. bad. And then I I had a lot of cake when I was pregnant and I'm into it. <laughs> so I'm like checking out all the bakeries in my community. Like I got to get all the oh. cake all the time. And it feels this so liberating. So like I am so sometimes in the eating disorder community, we talk about recovery binges, which is like, oh, uh-huh. you you were restricted for so long. Like, oh, uh-huh. Enjoy and enjoy more than you need. That's okay. Uh-huh. Your body will like figure it, like everything will figure uh-huh. itself out. So I'm just loving cake I, all the time. That's so, nobody's ever said that. Nobody has ever said cake. And it just is making me really happy. I keep a fork with me in my purse <laughs> because <laughs> I don't know. You're not messing around. Not, like, gotta get real about this. You're like cake if ready. Cake happens twenty four seven. I am not. Nothing is stopping me. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Okay, here's my other question. Okay, and my next question: If you had to pick, and there's just such a myriad of choices, but if you had to pick your very favorite thing about yourself, mm. there's the thing that you're like, I love this thing about me. What would you say? Ah. Uh. I would say I'm, I love how curious I am. Yeah. I'm so curious. I just want to know all the questions. Yeah. I want to, or I should say, I want to know the answers to all the questions. And I just have like a bottomless pit of questions. And I think it makes it probably irritating for some people. I'm like, no, give me, (laughs) give me more information about what that was like for me. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted this conversation about my feelings and my sadness to be over a long time ago. I'm like, no, let's go all the way into it. (laughs) But I think it helps me be outside of judgment for myself too, because I, I can look at myself and go, what's going on there instead of this is bad or this needs to go away. Mm. Curiosity is one of my highest goals for my forties to continue to nurture it. Because I came up through a paradigm where curiosity was kind of punished and certainty was rewarded. Uh And so this new permission to be a curious person in the world is so exciting for me. And it it works so well with embodiment because we have sensations and we go, whoa, body, what are you telling Uh me? Instead of stop it. Like we can ask the questions of ourselves that take us deeper into awareness of what's going on. Okay. And last question, you've had this for me twice now. And so let's just see what it is this year. I have I'm going to, I have a suspicion that, you know, it's Barbara Brown Taylor's question. What's saving your life right now? Uh Uh-huh. Again, two things, if I'm permitted. One, Uh my daughter, I just, I am, I'm alive and seeing the world in a new way. And my apple tree, I've got an apple tree in my backyard and picking apples. And there's something so simple about like grabbing an apple. It makes this really satisfying, like noise when you pull it off, off Uh the tree and I had this experience the other day where they intersected and I, I've been kind of mesmerized by it since, but I, I breastfed my daughter 
And then I went and picked apples from the tree and I understood in a new way that they were the same thing, that Mm. my body nourishing her is what the earth is doing to us. And my ability to see myself so benevolently because of how I feed her and then Mm. how that's translating to what I'm understanding about the earth and what Mm. the earth is doing to us. I really feel this intersection of being a mother changing the way I understand what we need to do for the earth. And that is, Mm. that is saving me. That's saving me. Mm. It's powerful. Mm -hmm. Feels like it for me. Also apple tree. Dreamy. Yeah. (laughs) So dreamy. So dreamy. Oh, jealous. Yeah, it's wonderful. Okay. So for the millionth time, just Mm -hmm. thank you for being who you are in this world and for your absolutely dogged dedication to your work, to your own personal liberation. And that's the rest of us for staying, keeping your hand to it, even though it has a lot of enemies and obstacles, Mm -hmm. your particular branch of the tree. And then just also for being so generous with your time and even with your own experience, because I learn a lot from you when you just talk about you, Mm. when you talk about what you're learning, when you talk about what you've overcome, Mm -hmm. when you talk about your experiences and you put it in terms like that, it just makes it so accessible for me to live into that in a like full way. You know, I just want to, I would just want to live. I want to live and I want to live well. And so you're one of our best teachers here, Mm. our best practitioners. So, you know, me, I'm on your, I'm on team you forever. I will absolutely riddle all my books with your quotes. I don't care. I'm not sorry. I will. It'll be just, just shy of plagiarism and I'll just, I'll splash your name everywhere because I want every single person that I love to listen to you. And so love that baby girl. Oh, go snuggle that girl. Wow, I will. Mm. And thank Mm. you. Thank you for Mm. your support of me. It feels so empowering. Helps me, yeah, trust my voice and want to speak up even more. And so thank you. Thank you for that. You are welcome. You are welcome. You'll never get rid of me, kid. So (laughs) I can't wait to see in person whatever the world is better. I know. That's going to feel like (laughs) such a joyful reunion of sorts. I can't wait. I can't wait. Love you, sis. Okay. Love you too. Bye. She's so great. She's just meant so much to me and she's taught me so much. And I really credit her with at least for me, starting the engine on the process of becoming embodied again. I'm in my forties. And I love that. She just said there at the end that it's not too late, wherever you're at, it's not too late to start this work. It's not too late to imagine a different relationship with your own body. It's not too late to repair wherever you are. And then I think about our daughters and I'm like, wouldn't you have loved to have had this information in your ears when you were their age? I wish somebody would have told me this when I was 21. I wish that my teachers would have taught me this before I learned to hate myself. And so, so we can give it to our daughters and we can practice it in our own lives. It's never too late. You guys over at jenhatmaker.com, I will have under the podcast tab, I'll have this 
whole show. I'll have the show notes. I'll have the episode. I'll have links to all of Hillary's stuff, where she is on socials. I'll have links to all of her books and definitely her upcoming book. And don't forget, pay attention to my Instagram page. I'm going to have her, we'll do a live together when her book comes out. And so there's never enough Hillary McBride in the world. And so I'm doing my part to saturate the market with her. <laughs> okay, everybody. I hope this series has meant a lot to you. I hope that it served you well. I hope that you have seen your reflection in it and that in whatever way you needed it, you were able to grab onto some paver stones on your way out of trauma or of pain or of suffering or neglect, dysfunction, whatever it is, whatever it is that took you away from you whatever it is that disconnected you from you. I hope that this series has served as a way back. It has for me. So I'll see you next week. And thank you for being like incredible, super fans of the show. Laura and the production team and Amanda and I love you and we love to serve you. All right, guys, see you next week. Bye.